welcome to episode 134 of Breakout Culture. I'm Charlotte Metcalf. I'm the associate editor at Country and Townhouse magazine. And I'm Ed Vasey, the culture editor of Country and Townhouse. And I'm very excited about today's podcast because I'm also a trustee of Tate. And today we're talking about a brilliant, important and thought-provoking new exhibition which opened on the 8th of November at Tate Britain. It's called Women in Revolt. It features works by over 100 women artists working between 1970 and 1990. Alongside artworks by lots of well-known artists, there is work, much of it rarely or even never seen before, by women who have tended to be marginalised and left outside of the artistic narrative. Yes, and the timing of the exhibition is extraordinarily pertinent as it coincides with a new report based on research by the International Body of Art, founded by Maria Artoul, which discovered that for every male artist who earns a pound, a woman artist only earns 10p, and 27% of women have to stop pursuing a career in the arts due to limited financial prospects. That does seem extraordinary when you think that Marina Abramovich and Sarah Lucas are both currently drawing huge crowds to two major UK galleries at the moment. So, to get on to today's guests, in what is certain to be an exciting discussion, we're delighted to welcome the exhibition's curator, Lindsay Young, who's held the position of curator at British Contemporary Art at Tate Britain since 2016. Good morning, Lindsay. Hello, thank you for having me. Good morning, Lindsay. We're also delighted to welcome Marlene Smith, the British artist and curator. She's known, along with Sonia Boyce and Lubina Himid, as a key figure in the British Black Arts Movement as one of the founding members of the BLK Art Group. She's also an advisor on the exhibition and has two works in it. Good morning, Marlene. Good morning. Well, thank you both so much for coming on. And let's kick off with you, Lindsay, because the exhibition and the very comprehensive and brilliant catalogue are the outcome of an in-depth five-year project led by you. It's full of glorious rage and vitality and originality. So the obvious first question is, why has it taken so long to recognise feminist energy and creativity as a historic force in British art and culture? I'm not sure we have properly recognised it yet. Uh, I think this is this is an interesting moment because uh, a huge number of artists, of activists, archivists have been looking after this this uh, information and this artwork since the seventies and eighties. So it's very well known to women, but it's the kind of patriarchal institutions that haven't thought to open the doors to it yet. I would say. And tell us about your two works in it, Marlene, because you've been very involved in shaping this exhibition as well, haven't you? I don't want to take the glory away from Lindsay and her team because they've worked extremely hard and very impressively in terms of the amount of detail that they've gone into to uncover works that we haven't seen before. Um, And that's one of the things that's most exciting about the show is the fact that there are works here that sometimes we've only heard of rather than seen. And the two works that I have in the show are a piece called Art History and another piece called Good Housekeeping 3. With Art History, um, I'm making a comment about who it is that makes art and how how art comes to be in in art history. And that's um, what that consists of is four tiny A5 postcard-sized images and a crocheted vase with plastic flowers in it which sits on a shelf and um, each of the A5 images is a ref makes a reference to a a woman a black woman who's made art and the vase itself is crocheted by my mother who's passed away since 
And so it, it makes a very poignant, I think, um, reference to what is art and who makes it. And the second piece, Good Housekeeping 3, I made originally for an exhibition um, which was curated by Lebena Himid in 1985 and happened at the ICA. And so it's a remake of that piece. And that piece makes direct reference to the shooting of Cherry Gross. And for those of that are listening that don't know, Cherry Gross was a middle-aged woman with children. And she opened her door to the police one morning at 7 a.m. when they were looking for her. They'd come looking for her son. And they shot her, but she was confined to a wheelchair for the rest of her life. Um, as a result of that shooting. so And I remember that I'd been at a, a rally um, which were, had, was protesting the shooting of Cherry Gross just before I started to make that piece of work. So it's a very poignant piece of work as well. Well, I can't wait to come and see it. And Lindsay, you mentioned there were a lot of hitherto unseen works. Can you tell us how you chose those? I think I would sort of reiterate that none of them are unknown all of them are very well known within those circles but it's that thing of I remember having a an art history tutor who said the dark ages are only dark because we don't illuminate them and I, I feel the same about this show because the this work is really well known but often you know when you live in precarious circumstances that are pushed upon you by capitalism by neoliberalism by patriarchal societies it's hard to to keep work to have enough space to make work or to stop it from having to be destroyed it's very important to me as well that the exhibition is about a constellation of people rather than about stars i really didn't want to think about individual genius because i think it's boring old hat old art history you know i think it's good to look at people for all the kind of different strengths they have as artists but that said there are a large number of works that the public probably will not have seen before and it's been a really long process of first of all negotiating budget and persuading the institution that they should let me do this i wanted to think about what a feminist methodology might be for a curator and i, I still don't know what that is but i think it's about caring, listening and taking time, not rushing, not extracting information, but trying to share and communicate. So I met almost all of the artists in the exhibition, either on Zoom or in person. I traveled up and down the country and we would talk about their work and about their lives. And through that conversation, you find things that maybe they haven't considered before or in a different way. So I'm looking at a work right now by an artist called Janice Jeffries called double labia and when I met her I said oh uh, do you have any work that you would consider feminist and she said oh no definitely not no no well there is that two meter high labia made of sisal carpet dyed blood red and I was like yeah okay can I have that please so that work's never been shown before in a, in a major institution like this and then there's also pieces like something I've become really in love with over the show is laminated exhibitions so I'm interested in agitating the institution and thinking about what we place value on and what we don't. A laminated exhibition is this really interesting thing that women used a lot in the 70s and 80s. So you would take photographs, write text, put them on a board and then laminate the whole thing and post it around the country. So it meant you could share your work with so many more people. So some of the works in these in this exhibition will have already been seen by thousands of people because in the 70s they were in libraries in Caithness and in kind of, you know, Wales and things like that. So the laminated exhibition, uh, we have three or four examples of those. And I'm really, really excited about people seeing that you don't have to work within 
a capitalist gallery-based construct to have a really successful and broad-ranging art career. So tell us about the title of the uh, exhibition, Women in Revolt, uh, because it's taken from a 1970 text, Women in Revolt, Patriarchal Attitudes by Eve Figures. Who was Eve Figures and why is that text so influential? Well, interestingly, it's actually, it came in a slightly different direction. So the exhibition was originally called Typical Girls because I like punk and the Slits made a really important single called Typical Girls. And it was called that for a couple of years. And then when I really started meeting people face to face, a lot of women said to me, please don't use that title because we are not girls. And we fought for a long time not to be girls. So we'd appreciate it if you changed it. So actually I had a brainstorm in our office and one of our collections assistants came up with Women in Revolt. Uh, so it is the title of the book, but it's also the title of a, a film by, oh God, I've forgotten his name. He's very famous, Andy Warhol. I love that. I'm so involved with women artists now, I've forgotten <laughs> Andy Warhol's name. Brilliant. Um, but it's a film where he was making fun of the women's liberation movement. So I really enjoy that we've also brought that back and we've also kind of taken control of that title again. So tell us about Eve Figures, because we all know about Andy Warhol, but tell us about her text. Um, it is one of the texts that a lot of women were reading at the time. So people were reading Betty Friedan and, you know, books that set out... Um, the position of women within patriarchal societies. It's really interesting what you're both saying about how women were choosing, because they were so unrepresented by institutions, to work for themselves and creating their own community and sort of doing art for each other. And I've just got some really, there's some really good statistics in your brilliant catalogue. For example, the Tate, between 1970 and 1990, held 344 exhibitions and just 17 were by or included women, and all bar one of those women were white. And the exhibitions that did feature women tended to focus on subjects like gardening and landscape. I think those statistics are actually how I got the exhibition over the line, because it's very, very hard to get an exhibition in any major organisation um, that you've thought of. And I remember it was you know, it was shaky on shaky grounds five years ago. And I went to my boss and I said, right, here are the statistics. I've been through the gallery records. I've gone through every line and this is our history. So this is why we should do it. And he looked very, yeah, like he agreed with me at that point. So we got the green line. But yeah, sometimes you have to call out the places you work for and uh, try and change things. I think what's great is, is another thing you said in your introduction in the catalogue. This is a very joyful, it's critical, but it's very joyful. Yeah, it's really important to me because women always have a good time no matter what even in the worst circumstances if we're together we'll have a good time you, you know we all know that and I wanted there to be a real like I am an angry feminist I know a lot of people especially women in the show don't want to be called an angry feminist but I am but uh there is I think great humor and we've tried really hard to have rhythm and energy and vibrancy throughout the show and kind of points of of humor. So I think people will be really uh, invigorated. There's also strength and vulnerability in the work. So I think with my work, for example, you look at the image of the woman who's standing in front of her, her door, and it's a very intimate portrait of someone. So you're you're kind of seeing the vulnerability of the of um, Cherry Gross before she got shot. And um, I think that's one of the things that that the, the, the show does very well is to show different aspects of women's lives and not to and to to go beyond the stereotypes of what you would expect from a um, a feminist show so i'm really looking forward to laughing off my head and um really enjoying myself well, how much progress do you think we're making in terms of 
representation of women artists and also black women artists as well. I mean, it is a very now sort of conscious things. Lindsay, you were saying about how you got it over the line with Tate, but the recent rehang at the National Portrait Gallery, for example, has focused partly on the fact that many more women artists are now represented. Is this all window dressing or is there a genuine shift? I think there's an attempt to make a shift. And I think that that is, you know, we have to be grateful that um, after all these years, uh, suddenly we're seeing more and more shows by women artists. I mean, as this show opens at um, Tate, there's also quite a big show at Barbican. We Sisters, it's brilliant. That's it, yeah, Yeah, which I haven't seen yet, but I'm really looking forward to seeing. And I think that this last couple of years, we've seen an effort from all kinds of institutions to, to really address the issue of diversity and to um and to fundamentally look back at themselves as institutions so i would say in answer to your question ed Fazy, that we're not anywhere near represented as well as we should be but the, but i can acknowledge that there have been certain moves to to make a difference yeah i agree with marlene but i'd also say i think the the art world is incredibly biased towards posh people and people with money and you cannot go to art school now unless you're rich and that means that has a negative impact on arts and culture so that I think is something that really is not being addressed at all within major institutions so we need to fund our art schools fund our education and pay our you know our gallery staff and our artists better. That's really interesting because we had Tracy Emin on the podcast not long ago and she was, you know, that's why she started her school in Margate to address precisely this and give young struggling artists a chance because, as you say, it's impossible otherwise. And again, we go back to that thing of 27% of women being um, having to leave the, the arts because they just can't afford to stay in it. Yeah, I see that happening all the time. Um, and I think, so I'm I'm from a working class background and I went to university in Scotland because I'm Scottish, so my fees were paid. If that hadn't happened, I wouldn't be here. Most of the women I know who have children who work in the arts, despite all their brilliance and their, you know, they really struggle because the pay is so bad. Can we go back to the the exhibition itself? Because you, you've chosen to do it very chronologically, starting with um, the Miss World protests. And tell us about where it starts and then it ends with Thatcher, doesn't it? Thatcher is omnipresent in this exhibition. As she is in most of our lives, sadly. So... It starts with the Women's Liberation Conference in Oxford in 1970. And that's a moment that a lot of people uh, really say is the start of the Women's Liberation Movement in the UK. And in the same year, or the yeah, same year, the Women's World protests at the Arbor Hall, and then there was the first Women's March in 1971. So that kind of big explosion of work happening. And then we move, as you say, we move through the decades. And, and I really... There were many different ways to approach this exhibition and in some ways it would have been easier to do it thematically. But what I was really conscious of was being true to the politics. So one of the problems of being chronological is that you don't see feminist work by women of colour until the late 70s. And that's a really uncomfortable truth because that is, you know, telling us something about the country we live in. So what we've done is look to really key women of colour who were activists before perhaps the feminist art is visible and show them, but show them also to format we're a feminist photographer's agency, so taken by women. And then we also, in the second room, we have a banner by OWAD, the Organisation of Women of Asian and African Descent. And it's a banner they had behind them in 
their conferences, but it's a work of art. It's absolutely beautiful. So we've kind of repurposed that. But yes, chronological. So we start with the first conference. We move through thinking about pay and kind of labor changes to the law. I'm in a room at the moment that is about the body and the home. So thinking about um, giving birth, having children, choosing not to have children, ovulation cycles, menstruation, uh, the boundaries of the home, childcare. Then there's a room in late 70s, early 80s, looking at punk, rock against racism, alternative music. Then a room about Green and Common. And then we move into the second half of the exhibition, which is the, the 80s proper. And we look at the work of women of colour. And again, Marlene was an amazing help on this. So instead of two rooms, we have one really big room that's split into two. And the first part has Marlene's good housekeeping. So it's really thinking about a moment of, standing up and pushing back. And then the the second half of that room is perhaps more about joy within communities of colours. And then you go into the late 80s and there's a room that's very focused on lesbian practice around the AIDS epidemic in section 28. A tiny bit on disability arts and that's because disability arts movement really goes for it from about 91. And then the final, final room, yes, we're thinking about the kind of demise of Margaret Thatcher. So a lot of the women I spoke to said that by about 1988, it was almost too hard to keep making work. And there are many reasons for that. It's sort of their personal circumstance, the fact that it was really hard to get teaching jobs or, you know, jobs as an artist. The closure of the GLC had a huge impact on people's lives, particularly those working in London. But we also hint at what I think is really had a massive impact, which is the start of the YBA movement and the start of a commercialised art market, which happened so quickly and just meant that, from my opinion, these radical practices sort of became less interesting to the public and people started to look at the big shiny things that were happening over here. The YBA being the young British artist, but what... Um, Sorry, yeah. Is there any international aspect to the exhibition or is it mainly focused on British artists? No, there isn't an international. And, you know, that will be one of the problems, I'm sure. There'll be criticism of this, as there always is. But for me, it was really important that we look at Britain because, you know, the show, I made the shows as kind of dedication to my mum who passed away. And I've all, I was always really obsessed with her. She was a single mum, well, I still am, single mum, nurse, socialist. You know, she was really incredible. And she, I saw the world through her, her eyes. So I saw her nursing during the AIDS epidemic. I, we lived in London at, during the poll tax riots and I saw them happen. And, I, you know, I remember her perspective on those things. So I really wanted this to focus on the richness that I, that I knew was there in Britain. I think what's really shocking is that I'm looking at, at the, you know, one of the other things in the, in the catalogue is, is you talk about the formal demands of the women's liberation movement. And sorry, but not a lot has changed. I mean, equal pay now is number one. And we've just had a report <laughs> saying that women artists earn a tenth of what male artists earn. I mean, equal pay, you know, equal education and job opportunities, no. Free contraception and abortion on demand, you know, free Free 24-hour nurseries? I think not. And it's extraordinary how really, actually, what you said right at the beginning of this, Lindsay, you know, you're not sure if it's actually breaking through. I was going to say that I think that that's one of the things that I'm excited about seeing this show and this moment, because it will re-energise people to look back at those demands. And for young women, of you know, that are coming up now to have to 
to look back to the women's movement and to see that these demands are relevant today. Lindsay talked about a, a moment of joy and breakthrough for black women artists. How did, what was your experience of that? And, and when was it? When did you see that turning a bit of a corner? I'm not sure that I have seen it turn a corner, but there are there are various moments over the years where there was, which were um, um, optimistic. So one of the many, many moments that I think the show celebrates is the opening of the an exhibition called The Thin Black Line at the ICA. And it was really the first time that a major institution had shown work by black artists, not just by women artists, but this was a show of women artists that was organized by Lebena Himid. And she had 11 women artists um, in the show. And um, I, I remember being at the opening of that show and that there was just this sea of black faces I don't know if it's a point of change, but it's a point of optimism and a, 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 um, a looking forward. And, and of course, we thought that we had made gains by going through the, by um, having that exhibition. And it turned out that we weren't really getting anywhere because that happened in, that show happened in 1985. And if you look at the women who were showing in that exhibition, you'll find that a lot of them went into hiatus after that. When Lindsay was talking about the late 80s becoming a really difficult time, I certainly found that for myself personally. And uh, I didn't show work myself until from from the late 80s right up until 2000, sorry, 2011. Um, and I think that's a that's a story when you when you look at the biographies of the artists that we are showing in um, this exhibition, you'll find that a lot of them didn't make work for a long time in between and have only recently come back to their practices. There is now a sense of optimism, do you think, do you both think? One of the problems might be things like social media, which I think, I think one of the, the joys of this period or my kind of romance for it is that everyone met, you know, they had to like post each other letters, they had to get on buses for hours and go up and down the country with loads of kids under their arms and then go to a meeting and have a fight with someone. And it was, you know, it was all very visceral and very kind of, um, I don't know, there seemed to be a point of connection, whereas now you just put up a post saying, oh, I disagree with this. Whereas these women committed to to real hardship for their politics and I think maybe that's different these days I mean green and common I can't see that happening now somehow I feel really sorry for younger well younger women I'm 42 but like younger women than me because especially if you live in a big city and particularly any city now it's so expensive to live you know it's so expensive to be anywhere so in a way Perhaps things were easier if you had a SWAT in London and then you could go to Greenham and you could come back. But kids now or young people now are paying mostly their whole wages on a room in some horrible part of a city. And that does make it really hard to protest because you're exhausted by the end of the day for different reasons. So I think capitalism, that's our problem. We need to get rid of that and then uh, we'll have a nicer time. I mean, just talking about the actual work in this exhibition for a minute. I mean, looking at the catalogue, it is so full of energy. You cannot put a lid on this, whatever happens. <laughs> and it's it's just to to put that all together in one place, I think it's such a brilliant idea. And uh, thank you both very, very much. Thank you. Thank you. It's been the highlight of my career, I think. That's all we've got time for today. But next week, we're going to be talking about Edward VIII and a new controversial book about him by a first-time American author called Jane Marguerite Tippett. She stumbled across some handwritten documents that biographers before her have missed. 
and she set out to mine that hitherto overlooked new material and to present it to us as a way of looking at Edward VIII and Wallace Simpson afresh. We're going to be talking to Jane about this in New York, so don't fail to tune in.